when I was a student in Daravogi. One of Steve's favorite stories that he would tell was that story from the Chronicles of Narnia, When in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, as set out by, by C.S. Lewis. Lucy asks Beaver about Aslan, and Lucy asks, is he safe? And Beaver thinks about it and says, this is Aslan, he's, we're talking about here, he's, he's not safe, he's good, but he's not safe. Now, if I had a pound for every time Steve Stockman used that story when I was in Daravogi, I would be, not being a farmer, I would be a very wealthy person. In fact, it got to the point, it was, you know, Christmas, uh, Beaver said to Lucy. Easter, Beaver said to Lucy. Any grace, Beaver said to Lucy. And I thought, if I hear this story one more time, I'm going to turn into a beaver. So I'd be interested to know from the audience, if the, is that uh, still coming up, hatches, matches, and dispatches in Fitzroy? Is it uh, Beaver, Lucy said to Beaver? No? Steve, maybe you need to uh, bring that story back to life. I, yeah, there we go. A, few, a whole series there, I'm sure, on what Beaver, what Lucy asked Beaver. Is he safe? I thought it an appropriate way to start our talk this morning, because in being with creation, it's not just enough to consider creation in and of itself or us in and of itself. We have to think holistically. We have to think about that relational matrix that God has put at the heart of life, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with each other, our relationship with the rest of creation, and our relationship with God himself. And so in being with creation, we need to understand the creator. In being with creation, we need to understand ourselves. In being with creation, we need to understand the relationships we have with each other, be they here in Belfast, in Malawi, or anywhere else on this wonderful planet that we call home. And so in thinking about that today, and in thinking that Many of the problems are part of the problem at the root of being disconnected from creation, of the destruction of creation, is this separation that we tend to divide these things up into different parts, spirituality here, our material existence here, environment here, economic here, that actually we need to bring those things together. And that is what is there in the biblical narrative. It's what's there in the book of Job. And it's what I want us to think about today. And in being with creation, I want to think about it in three parts. I want to think about, firstly, the wonder of creation. The wonder of creation, where that leads to, especially to worship. The second thing I want us to think about is the fragility of creation. Not just of the natural world, but of the non-human creation, but of human creation, because we are a part of creation, even though God has also made us apart from it too. And thirdly, I'd like us to think about the hope of creation, the hope that creation has in Jesus Christ and following his lead, saved by his grace, what we are going to do about it as Christians, as churches, as societies, as nations, as groups of nations, as a human race. So let's begin. And, and I wanted to take the passage from Job today is among other reasons I felt led to and it might seem a bit like an odd passage to talk about 
creation care from. You could think of other passages that we could take, like Genesis 1 and 2, or Psalm 8, or Psalm 104, or Leviticus 25, which the organization that I, I lead takes its name from. And yet Job, in the book of Job, and I don't profess to be an expert on, on Job in any way, but all of the great questions of life are there. Where do we come from? Where are we going? And above all, why are we here? We see suffering in the book of Job. We see questions. We see injustice. But all of it is set against this great backdrop of creation, of Job as a being with creation. We see wonder. We see fragility. And we see hope. And so I wanted to use this chapter in particular because while it's the gallop through the universe at the last few chapters of Job, this chapter is almost a summary of Job in itself. And it finishes with that wonderful verse, which is where being with creation and all of these things should lead us to say this, that these are but the edges of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his mighty power, who can understand. So let's begin our own gallop through the universe this morning, and I want to think firstly about the wonder of creation. Much of the Bible was written and talked about and discussed, including the life and ministry of Jesus, not in a, a church building or a synagogue as it would have been then, but outside. And so the backdrop for the story of Job is somewhere in the Middle East a long time ago, this catalogue of wonders of creation around us, this amazing world that Job and his contemporaries in sickness and in health as well as in wealth and success were looking at and using to come to terms with life as they were beings in creation. And so I want to begin tonight because often as Christians we, we can go straight to panic stations, climate change, extinction, species loss, hunger, inequality, all of these great challenges of our time that we face before us and we can just go straight to panic stations but actually we need to begin with the wonder of creation with celebrating it and looking at it and so I want to take you uh, a wonder wonder through four different aspects of creation so that we we begin there we don't begin with the panic but we begin with the wonder as we see here in this chapter of Job. And I'm just going to, I don't have a PowerPoint today, but I'm going to show you four pictures and we're beginning with one up here and it's soil. Soil is not dirt. Soil is what makes the world go round. One author described it as the tablecloth under the banquet of civilization. And hands up, who, who was at the small group who were at our uh, Jubilee farm back in, yeah, okay, here's a test for you to see if you were listening. How many living things... How many living things are in a handful of soil? Just a handful like this here, just like that. How many living things? Anybody remember? Right close, yeah, we had all sorts of answers. But seven billion, don't know who figured that out. But the point being, there are more living things in a handful of soil, just like that, or as we did at Jubilee Farm, we all lifted up, especially the kids, a handful of soil, more living things in a handful of soil than there are people on planet Earth. 
And that's the science of it, but the theology and ethics of it complement the science of it because as we also talked about when your home group came to visit us, the Hebrew word for soil is Adama. And so from Adama, Adam. From humus, humans. From soil, soul. And into that God breathed soul. The beginning of life, no soil, no plants, no plants, no animals, no animals, no humans, no life. So the next time you look at it and just think it's dirt or wipe mud off your shoes, remember where we came from. Remember soil, the diversity of life, and the wonder of the things beneath our feet. Second thing on our wonder through wonder this morning. The largest animal, you can go to the next one, thank you. The largest animal that has ever lived, Balanoptera musculus, its scientific name, the blue whale. As long as three double-decker buses, the weight of 10, its heart is the size of a small car and a newborn child could swim through some of its veins. And when, as a newborn infant, being, weighing two tons and the size of a hippopotamus, an adult hippopotamus, drinking 400 liters of milk every day, it grows by 13 to 14 stone. That's my weight every single day. What an extraordinary creature, hinted at perhaps in the book of Job. We can marvel at the accomplishments that human beings have done, and many of them are indeed fantastic. But isn't it good to look at the world around us and be filled with a sense of wonder? Moving on to our next one, a place close to my heart. This is me in the Himalayas. You might recognize that mountain up in the top left. This is my first visit just after I'd finished university, and I was later privileged to go back here and do some of my PhD fieldwork in the Everest area, talking to people about snow leopards. That's Everest, the world's highest mountain, up on the top left. But it's not Everest I want you to look at, because the peak on the right is called Nipsi. And Nipsi, there's a big ridge that goes all the way up to Lhotse, which is the world's fourth highest mountain. You can't see it. But the point being, Nipsi is just under 8,000 meters. And if you look down at, to the bottom left there, you can see the Kumbu Icefall or glacier that comes down from Everest. And at that point there, it's about 5,200 meters. The gap between the top of Nipsi and the Kumbu Icefall at that point is about 2,700 meters. So many times could you fit Sleeve Donard into that, just over my shoulder there. Not doing Sleeve Donard down, it's a wonderful mountain. Three times. You could fit sleeve Donard three times between my left hand, or my hand on the left there, my right hand, and the top of, it's not even amongst the top 14 highest mountains in the world. What an extraordinary place. What an extraordinary world we live in. The wonder of creation. Be, being with creation means appreciating and reveling in the wonder of creation. And lastly, our last photo the Northern Lights, Aurora Borealis, or in the Southern Hemisphere, Aurora Australis. And I'm actually, it's very pleased because my parents went off to Iceland to see the Northern Lights and saw tiddly squat, except some clouds. And round about the same time, in the hills above Carrick Fergus, I saw the Northern Lights, like someone painting the sky, so beautiful I nearly crashed into a tree. And the science of it, that the northern lights are literally stardust born in the cosmic winds and touching the magnetic fields of the earth at the northern pole and the southern pole. It does not in any way diminish our sense of wonder. It only augments the sense of wonder. 
its soil beneath our feet, the blue whale in the ocean, the world's mightiest mountains, or the sky above our heads. Being with creation means reveling in the wonder of creation. And the natural corollary of that is the worship, not of creation, but of the Creator God. Being with creation means rejoicing in the wonder of creation. The second point that I want to talk about is the fragility of creation. We look around us at the world and everything that we see, and we can see increasingly a world, a creation, nature under strain. We see climate change, climate chaos advancing even at rates faster than we anticipated. We see species going extinct over and above the background rate. We see all sorts of environmental damage and calamities, often very close to social calamities and destruction because the well-being and flourishing of humans on this planet is so closely bound up with the well-being and flourishing of the planet that sustains and inspires us. Because as many of you will probably know, the root word of economy and the root word of ecology is oikos, a Greek word that means home. And in the passage of Job, yes, the, the theme we often take out of Job is, is of human suffering, and we'll get to that in a moment, but we also see at times creation in turmoil. It may be poetic or, or lyrical, but we see, we see turmoil. And so being with creation means understanding the fragility of creation and being prepared to look at it and not to look away. And it also means engaging with and understanding the human suffering at a structural level that is very closely bound up with environmental degradation. Because if we look at this century, and it is likely to be a very difficult century, perhaps with human suffering on an, an unprecedented scale that we have never seen in human history, it will be communities of color and communities of class that are most likely to bear costs, most of the costs of that suffering. The fragility of creation is also about the fragility of the human creation. The second aspect of that, that and of my point, is about the issue of individual life and of, of our own little worlds that we live in that are so important to us and so important to God. And Job is perhaps best known for addressing the issue of suffering and yet after 36 passages or 36 chapters or whatever it might be, and, and God shows up and, and talks about creation and points it out to him, can you do this? Can you do that? And we see a summary here in this chapter. I'm not sure that Job actually gets an answer to the issue of suffering. What he gets is perspective from looking at creation and being reminded of who God is that all of this wonder, soil, blue whales, the Himalayas, the northern lights, that these, these are but the edges of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his mighty power, who can understand? It might seem from our conversation so far, I alluded to it already, but 
the journey that we've been on to set up Jubilee Farm has, has not been an easy one. In fact, it's been very, very difficult at times. Uh, a year before we, we bought the farm, our previous site collapsed, and we were left with broken dreams, broken hearts, and an empty bank account of 300 pounds or so in the society's bank account, having bought all the fixtures and fittings from the, the site that just disintegrated. In the middle of that, partly because of that, as well as having been a, a carer for my wife since I was 21, I just experienced total burnout about 15 months ago. Just couldn't. I wasn't depressed because I've had depression being a carer. It was different. It was just I'd pushed too hard for too long, giving of myself and not putting enough back in. And, and the fact that the whole farm thing fell apart in the middle of that was just the, the last straw. And it got worse, actually, because then while we did find the farm and, and God provided amazingly, we raised a third of a million pounds to, so that a year after we had 300 pounds left in the account, we had 330-odd thousand in the account to purchase that community farm just outside Larne in February 2019. Four weeks after we moved into the farm, my wife went into hospital this time with an unrelated acute condition and was there for eight weeks, and it was, uh, there, were, there were times I thought, this is it, we're, we're going we're gonna to lose her. And at times, having just moved into this house, and as I'm sure you've seen from the video, an extraordinary view, as I said in the radio yesterday, one of Northern Ireland's best kept secrets, the view over Larne Lock, particularly the view from Jubilee Farm. I just, I, I, all of this view in front of me, all of this amazing things that happened, we'd bought this farm, here we were, we'd made it. And I could just, at the evenings, collapse on the sofa and the pew and look out at this view of God's creation. I couldn't, I couldn't speak. I couldn't pray. I couldn't read my Bible. I could just look at creation. And yet through that, God ministered to me. And looking around us at creation, whether it's us in this century or Job here in the Old Testament, looking at creation, it helps us put things in perspective. The fragility of creation, but also the fragility of our lives. The fragility of our lives, and also the fragility of human success. Last weekend, last Friday, Jubilee won two awards at the Northern Ireland Social Enterprise Awards, and it's been a social media and media and all sorts of things following on from that. And I was, it was like an introvert's worst nightmare being at these awards dinners, like 500 people, and it's very loud and, and all of that. What, wasn't really much fun until we started winning, and then I enjoyed it immensely. <laughs> but I came home from that absolutely zonked the next day, and again, it was the same response. I just sat on that sofa, and I looked at that view. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't watch a program on iPlayer or something like that. I just sat there and looked at creation, and it reminded me of what Kipling said about being of balance, being able to meet with both success and defeat and treat both those impostors the same. The point being that being with creation, understand the, understanding the fragility of creation, including the human creation and the fragility of each of our lives, be that the successes we win or the suffering that we go through. Creation helps to put that in perspective. God uses that to put things in perspective and to minister us through the healing power of beauty. And it brings us to that place where the only response really that we can make, because sometimes we don't get an answer to that suffering of why climate change and why species extinction and why personal suffering, 
is just to say that these are but the edges of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his mighty power, who can understand? So in being with creation, we've looked at the wonder of creation. In being with creation, we've looked at the fragility of creation. And lastly, I want to briefly consider the third and perhaps the most important point, the hope of creation. Job doesn't say it here, but elsewhere in the passage, and as we learned from the also alluded to in the children's address earlier, Job says, in the end, I know that my Redeemer lives. In the end, he will stand upon the earth. I might have got the quote slightly wrong, but I, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth. Job pointing forwards to Jesus Christ, his birth, life, death, resurrection, and return. What's the most important tool that we have and the most important bit of hope that we have for snow leopard conservation? Jesus Christ, his birth, life, death, resurrection, and return. What's the most important bit of hope that we have for climate change or for species extinction or for poverty and inequality, human rights abuses, all of these catalog of challenges that we face this century? Jesus Christ, his birth, life, death, resurrection, and return. We have a hope that secular environmentalism, secular development movement, as much as they do wonderful things, they don't have the hope that we have in Jesus Christ of a new creation, redeemed, restored, renewed, and reconciled. And yet the second aspect of hope for creation is that doesn't let us off the hook. Well, Jesus rose from the dead. He's coming back again. He's going to make a new creation so we can do what we like, treat it like we like, do what we want, trash it. It's all going to burn up anyway. So that it's, you know, why not do what we want? That has been one of the problems in Christian engagement with the environment. That what the philosophy that has underpinned it has not been holism that we see in the Bible, this intimate interconnection of God, the individual, society, and nature, or the land, or creation, whatever you want to call it, but that we tend to divide it, and often we divide it into what's called dualism, so it's the superior spiritual dimension, and then the inferior, inferior material aspects of life. And we focus all our energies on the spiritual dimensions of our faith instead of the material aspects of life that we are so intimately and integrally linked with. The hope of creation doesn't just get us off the hook because Jesus has risen from the dead. Because we follow him and live in that grace, he calls us to be good stewards of this world to look after it for the sake of the planet, for the sake of all the people who live on it, especially the poorest and the weakest. And in particular, we need to think holistically in our theology. We can't just keep it for Sunday morning or to issues that are culturally familiar. We have to apply it to every aspect of life, our economies, our societies, our cultures. And I'm not here with a long list if this is what you should do, but I would encourage you as a church and as individuals to particularly think about the philosophy of consumerism that saps our faith, saps our focus, saps our finances. It says your worth is based on what you own, earn, or consume instead of that you're a child of God 
made in his image. And when we spiritualize the Christian faith, paradoxically, spiritualism begets materialism because we don't apply our Christian faith, planet care, people care, fair share to the material world, to how we shop, then in that vacuum, consumerism flourishes. And consumerism and a linear economy of take, make, break, and then throw away is at the root of many of these problems that we face, inequality, climate change. And I say that as a Northern Ireland Young Social Entrepreneur of the Year, that great blessing from God. Economics can be part of the solution, but they're also part of the problem. We need to think deeply about that and what that means for each of us. And be reminded in thinking about hope for creation of these great words of Job, that these are but the edges of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his mighty power, who can understand? And it brings us back to Beaver and Lucy and the fact that God's not safe. And the Christian faith is not just to get out of hell, hell free card as we whiz around the monopoly board of a cozy middle class churchianity. It's something much more profound, much wilder, not safe at all, but so much more transformational. And being with creation means reveling in the wonder of creation that leads us to worship the Creator. It means this understanding the fragility of creation, including of human life and indeed the suffering of our own lives and that God uses creation to help us put that in perspective. And thirdly, we rejoice in the hope for creation of Jesus Christ, his birth, life, death, resurrection, and return. And as part of that mission of God, the mission of the church in each of our lives to bring transformation, body, soul, mind, spirit, in every way. And so being with creation, just like Job, should lead us to say at the end of it all that these are but the edges of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his mighty power, who can understand? Thank you.